Acts 16. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to, Sam- to Samothras and to the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptised, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us, as Romans, to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. 
and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptised at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. When it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent, have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, um, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison, and they do now throw us out secretly. No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologised to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Claire for that. There's a lot of a lot of places and cities in there. I think you nailed them all. That was impressive. So um, I'm just going to pray uh, before I bring God's word to us um, this evening. Father, thank you for this time already. Thank you for the sweetness there has been in being brought to a place of confession and repentance and being able to lay everything down at the foot of your cross and know that it is dealt with. So Lord, I pray that there's nothing um, that um, yeah that, that nothing blocks our time together now, Lord, thoughts that may be of things that are left unsaid, left undone, Lord, we pray that they would be pushed um, away, given over to you, and that we'd be able to concentrate on your word. Lord, we know that it is living and active, that you want it to talk to us and speak to us and change us. And so I do ask and pray that we would be changed by your word tonight, Lord. And if there's anything from you that I've got down here, Lord, I pray that it would just be, um, it would go and wouldn't be heard. But Lord, what is from you, I pray that it would fall on our hearts and that we would be changed by it. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, last week, I don't know if uh, you were here last week, I was at home on the live stream and there was just the most wonderful time of prayer. We had a lovely, wonderful time of prayer tonight as well, Sam, so thank you very much. But as I was preparing this, just thinking back to last week and the time that Stock has led us in prayer where we, she looked at um, unbelief um, uh, doubt in God and the refrain each time was help my unbelief when I doubt that you're real God please help my unbelief when I doubt that you care help my unbelief when I doubt um, your goodness to me help my unbelief 
And then there was that time we had for a minute or two where we were to think of any specific ways in which we were doubting God's goodness or anything about God um, during that time, some specific ways. And I think maybe you'll be able to empathise um, with, with this. Maybe there was something else we could have added to that list of help me believe that the gospel really can speak into the needs of my friends, my neighbours, my work colleagues, the people on the street. Can the gospel really speak into the needs of people? Sometimes I doubt it, I'll be honest with you. It's crazy that my friends would actually believe there's more chance that there's life on Mars than Jesus came 2,000 years ago to die for our sins so that we could have, um, be forgiven for our sins and have eternal life. And if any of you are in the same position as me, that maybe the outworking of that is that there's a fear of going to them, thinking it's just not going to work if I speak to them. But having spent time looking at Acts 16 this week, I have to say I've been really humbled, extremely convicted that the gospel is powerful. And if we look at um, in, in, in uh, verse 10 of this chapter, Paul receives a vision. He still receives a vision, but anyway, that was a hint that I need to think. Oh, he's working. Um, Paul receives um, a vision, doesn't he? He receives a vision um, in the night to say, from the Spirit of God, saying, come over to Macedonia, a place that in his first missionary journey, he was warned by the Spirit not to go. And yet he has this call to come over, share and preach the gospel. That's what he interprets it as, that I've got to go over there and preach the good news. And what does he do? Straight away, we notice that he gets her. He obeys the call and he goes instantly. There's not a delay at all. That once they head for Macedonia, come and help. And they go over and they take the gospel with them. Well, can I ask us, what stops us from going to Macedonia? Other than the COVID restrictions at the moment, we can't literally go to Macedonia. But what, what, let me say it this way, what stops us from going to people? What stops us from that call that we've had, that we've seen through our acts of go to people, be a witness to them? Maybe it is the fact that we, we doubt the gospel is able to speak to the needs of the people, speaking to the culture and to the context that we're in. Can the gospel really reach my neighbour that seems to have everything? Can the gospel really reach my friend that is in deep, dark depression? Can it really reach um, my work colleague that is suffering uh, with a self-destructive lifestyle? Can the gospel speak into that? And I think the problem for us today, and I think this is key, is that... I think this is key, that as Christians, we can often disobey our call to come and help. That is our call to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ because we lack confidence that the gospel really can meet the needs of everybody, our neighbours, our friends, our work colleagues. As Christians, we can disobey this call to go and preach the good news of Jesus Christ because sometimes we can just lack the confidence, can't we, in the gospel that it is able to reach their needs and meet meet their needs. We doubt it. We doubt its power. We doubt its ability to do that. Maybe it's because we feel out of our depth, but I want us to say, help my unbelief. And I pray that this passage tonight will help our unbelief in that area. Because we can have faith in this message. We can have faith in the message because it's the gospel that saves. It is the gospel that is the, is the power of the gospel that saves and transforms lives. The Spirit working through us as we tell people the good news of Jesus 
But we see in verses 1 to 5 that we might need to be adaptable. Timothy um, goes to the extreme, doesn't he? He is circumcised so that he doesn't cause, he's not a stumbling block to the Jews when he goes with Paul on the missionary journey so that he'd be accepted and that his me- the message would be heard. I'm not saying that we go and do that, guys, but, um, but we do need to be adaptable as well. Have faith in the message and be adaptable. Go to people, be willing to go and adapt ourselves um, as needs. But you see, God creates the context for us. He creates, uh, so he creates the context. He brings people into our lives for a time with different needs, some more obvious than others. And we have the call just to go and preach the good news to them and share it with them. So I hope that by the end of this time that we would grow in our confidence that the gospel is able to speak into every single need that people have. And I think to show this, what Luke does is he draws our attention to three very different people. We come into contact with Lydia, um, a slave girl, and then a Roman jailer. People from uh, different people, different places, very different backgrounds, with very different needs. All have their own needs, all have their own story, and the gospel speaks and saves each of them. And so firstly, what I want us to see today, and I hope it encourages us, um, is that the gospel, so that we can have confidence with the gospel because it meets intellectual, sorry, I've completely lost my clicker here, I do apologise. Um, we, um, <laughs> we can go to people with confidence because the gospel meets intellectual needs. We can go with people with confidence because the gospel meets intellectual needs. And what I mean by that is, I'm not talking about it just meets bright, every academic people's needs. What I'm saying is it, it answers the questions that people have and that they're curious about in life. We just have a look. In these verses, we, are, um, we see Paul has listened to the call. He has gone to Macedonia. He's gone to Macedonia and come to the city of Philippi. It's, uh, Philippi is, in, um, is on the Ignatian Way, which is the Roman commercial road. So it was a city that was um, rife with commerce, a, very, a business city, lots of trading going on. And it's where he plants his first church in Europe, in the Western world. So we are grateful for this because we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this. This is Paul's first European church plant. This is historic. And the first thing that they do is they go out, the missionary team, they go out looking for a place to pray, a prayer. They go into the Jews first. We've heard that before. I mean, to the Jews first, then to the Gentiles. As they go out looking for the synagogue. They can't find a synagogue because the, a synagogue needs to have 10 men for there to be a formal Jewish um, uh, place of worship. But, so they, but they can't find that. But they proactive go and look, and they find the place of prayer outside the city gates. They go, they keep looking, they persist. He doesn't find any Jews, but he finds Lydia. He finds Lydia, who is a Gentile woman, and there's other women there, but Lydia is from Tyatra, in a place in Asia, and she's in Philippi selling purple goods. Purple goods um, were um, basically um, from Tyatra, that region. There was a lot of um, purple dyes, that's where it came from, and so she was a very wealthy woman and went around um, different places to sell it, and she'd settled in Philippi. But as we read this, we see that she was someone that knew the God, of, uh, the God of Israel. She knew the Jewish God, and she worshipped him. She was a God-fearer. But there's something missing. What we see here is that actually she's missing a part of what she's worshipping. John Stott says that Lydia is someone that is attracted to Judaism, 
but isn't fully satisfied by it, attracted by it, attracted by the God of Israel, but isn't fully satisfied. And you see, the very fact that what she does is she then listens to Paul. Paul shares the gospel with her. She listens to Paul. The very fact that she's listening and wants to hear shows that there's something that she's missing and that she wanted. Her worship of God didn't quite satisfy her. She knew, she worshipped him, she knew the Old Testament scriptures, she would have known the law, she would have set, sought to keep the law, but she was probably wrestling with it as many were, saying, I can't keep this law, I keep breaking it, what do I need to do, what's this about? And then the Spirit opens her heart as Paul speaks to her and she understands the scriptures, she understands what they are saying, just as Jesus opened the hearts of um, the disciples to understand what the scripture said, the same thing happens here. And her and her household are satisfied because they know the answers that they were looking for, that they needed. Lydia's need was intellectual. She was curious. She was dissatisfied. And the gospel met her need. And don't we see that in our culture today? We see that people have a curiosity about what life is about. The two questions... What is wrong with the world and why am I here? They're the two questions that people keep asking, isn't it? What is wrong with this world? Why am I here? What's my purpose after all? But the answers that our world has seems to leave people very empty. Our, um, our postmodern culture, uh, reasoning and all that seems to leave people empty. What's, what's wrong with the world? Well, people say survival of the fittest. Weakest versus the strong. Why am I here? Well, I'm here to live for myself, make the best what I can do, make as much money as possible, then I'll die, but I'll be a good person, so if there is a God, I'll be okay, because I'll get to go to heaven if there is a heaven, but I don't know. Well, how do you know you're a good person? What's your standard that you're living by? How do you know, why is there a moral standard in the first place? There are holes, and I could go on, there are holes in the reasoning and logic of the world to those answers. But whereas the gospel answers all those questions... It answers all those questions, those curiosities that people have, those intellectual needs, because the gospel is reasonable and it is logical. And I think sometimes we can forget that. When our friends think it sounds crazy and they think it's more likely that someone lives, uh, that there's life on Mars, it's actually reasonable and logical. We can be confident because the gospel is reasonable and logical. You see, um, it is a, a gospel of reason, um, meaning that there is a, a justification, there's, an, a, there's a cause, there's an explanation for the meaning of life. And in the Bible, we see that, that the gospel narrative, talk, the gospel story talks about uh, creation, why, how we're here, why we're here, the fall that we've all uh, sinned, um, and then that there's redemption, a way of making us, uh, bringing us back to God, to be in relationship with him. There's a reasonable argument found in the Bible and of course, it's logical as well. When we apply that reason, we follow that logic through. Well, what's the problem with the world? Well, we are, um, God created the world, but we sinned. Man sinned. And, and therefore, we, ever since then, the world has been imperfect and there's problems in this world. We've messed up. Well, what can we do about that sin? What are we going to do? Well, we can do nothing. Um, it's all down to the person that's created us. He is our moral standard. That's how we know that we're wrong because he is perfect. And when we look at him and we see our sin, I could go on and go on and go on. You see, the gospel has a logical answer to those questions. It is a logical gospel. Many of you will be aware of the, the author C.S. Lewis, and um, he's always great for an illustration because there's so many things you can use him for in, in a sermon. But um, something that, was, that I found really helpful was that he was actually a professor at Oxford University um, um, of, of philosophy. And he was all about reason and logic. 
And his reason and logic had gotten to a place where he was an atheist. He didn't believe in God. He didn't believe God could exist. And then he had some quite influential um, professor friends as well, one of them being J.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings, who was one of the many that challenged him over several years about his logic. And he was given some different books to read. And what he said when he finished uh, a couple of the books, he said, what it actually did to me was to convert, even to baptise my imagination. You see, this guy that was one of the most intellectual people you could ever meet, had thought he had the answers to life, realised that they, they, they fell into insignificance to the logic and the reason of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he went away fully satisfied. And obviously we know what he went on to do afterwards. But it is a logical, reasonable gospel. And we can be confident that the gospel has the answers that we need to be able to share with, other, with people in their lives. The answers the world doesn't have. In fact, it's the only thing that makes sense. So I want us to be encouraged that we, that whether it's the Oxford professor that we know, um, the gospel is able to say, the gospel is, um, makes sense and is able to have power in their life. For our neighbours, for our sisters, for our grandparents, it has the power to be able to answer their questions. For the simplest of thinkers like myself, it has the power to answer my questions. But, here's the but, but we need to go to them, don't we? Just the, the sheer number of times we've seen this passage that Paul goes out, Paul goes out to this place, this place, this place. We need to enter their places. We just saw in that video that Vaughan uh, showed of, um, in, in uh, gospel, uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, where uh, Peter's, uh, Jesus says to, to uh, Peter, you are going to be a fisher of, um, fisher of men. That's what we're asked to do. We're asked to go out and be fishers of men, to follow Jesus and be fishers of men. I mean, what, what a privilege that is. But we need to enter people's places. We need to know their stories. We need to know about them, what their need is. Um, I may have shared this um, another sermon a couple of years ago, but a few years ago on my course, we got asked to um, do an assignment, which was to write a uh, meet up with someone, find out what their um, biggest barrier to Christianity was, and write them a letter, sort of like an apologetica, um, write a defense for how uh, the gospel um, speaks into that. And I did one to my granddad, who was um, really struggling with suffering and goodness of how can God be good if there's suffering? And so I got to write him a letter and, um, and do a defense of the gospel. And 70 other people on the course did it as well. And they all sent them out to different people. I just think what a powerful way that is to get to know um, people's needs, um, maybe a specific need that they have that is a barrier for them, that they think, God, the gospel cannot speak into that. Just encourage us that maybe that's something that we can be thinking about. Is there someone that um, we think has the need that we are able to get the, help the gospel speak into to remove that barrier from them and, and tell them the truth of the gospel? just want to encourage us. It's quite a, um, a helpful way of doing it. And people are actually quite up for, for listening and, and um, having that letter received. And so we can go with great confidence. The gospel can meet intellectual needs, the curiosities that people have. But secondly... Um, secondly, we can go to people with confidence because the gospel meets psychological need as well. It meets psychological need. We look at verses um, 16, 17, and 18. I'll just read them out to us. Um, after I've had a drink. Uh, once, uh, when we were going to a place, at the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. 
She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days, and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. I love that. But once again, Paul and his mission team go out of the city, back to the place of prayer. But they're going, they're going out, and they're constantly going out. And they go to the place of prayer, and they, meet this, they see this slave girl, and they try and not see her, they try and stay away from her. But for three days, she is shouting the same refrain, these men are the servants of the Most High God, telling them the way to be saved. What I love about this is that it takes Paul three days before he gets very annoyed. Three days of someone saying like that. It would take me three minutes when someone who's outside my house shouting, making noise, me thinking about what am I going to throw at them in the next three seconds. But Paul's obviously been sanctified and growing impatience um, to be able to last that long before he does that. And then he exercises the spirit, doesn't he? He gets rid of the spirit that's in her. But you see, she would have been in a terrible psychological state, enslaved by this spirit, but also enslaved by her masters who exploited her. And so there were psychological consequences for this spirit possession and her slavery. It was almost a double bondage. She had lost her identity. She had lost her individuality and her social belonging to her masters. And although there is no direct um, thing that says, and she, she turns to the Lord and gives her life to Jesus, um, the commentators would agree that the reason the story is in here is because she's one of the people that turns to Jesus and gives her life to Jesus. But what we see is the gospel frees her from her double bondage. The girl is met in her psychological need. And the need that she has is for shalom, that shalom peace, and for balance. She needs that shalom peace where there's harmony, wholeness, and completeness brought back to her when she knows that she's right with her maker. That's the only way we can have that shalom peace is being right with our maker. We can have that deep, unsettled, unsettled, that deep peace. Think of another word for that. But only the power of the gospel has the power to do that, to change that. And then also it has the power to bring equity and balance to her. um, What do I mean by that? Well, the gospel brought her a new identity and a new purpose. Bought her a new identity and a new purpose. And I'll just, you can just imagine the slave girl saying, I was a slave girl ruled by a demon in bondage to my masters. But who am I now? Who am I now? And can you imagine Paul putting her arm around her and saying, Oh, girl, you are a child of God now. That's your identity. You have the right to be called a child of God. You are loved by Him. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's treasured possession. She's gone from having no identity to that identity, just as we have if we know and love Jesus. But also, but also, it actually has a new purpose. Her saying, what am I to do in my life now? What's the point of my life now? My masters have taken, uh, I'm no good to my masters anymore. What do I do now? Go and tell others about Jesus. What better purpose is that you've been freed from your bondage? Go and tell others that they too can be freed from it. The gospel sets the captives free. It gives sight to the blind. It it is um, for those that are questioning their identity. And we know that in this world, many are questioning their identity to this day, at this moment, aren't they? And wrestling with it. The gospel can meet that need and tell them what their identity is. The gospel is powerful. It frees from bondage and it gives purpose. Why am I here? What's the point of this life? 
The gospel meets that need too. So for the drunk, the drug addict, the, the homeless people on the street, the, the people that are suffering, a demon-possessed, anything like that, we can go to them with the hope of the gospel. We can do. It's, it, it is life-changing and life-giving. You've probably seen that Soma video I've shown a couple of times now of Dope Church, where that, um, that church that go to um, the, uh, the sex workers in a motel um, every Sunday, they go and set up church every Sunday, offering hope in the gospel. And they've seen so many people come to know Jesus because they go and step over that barrier that there seems to be to go to people um, that are in, um, in that, in that um, industry. And yet they go and they are seeing fruit there. The gospel can bring them new life, new identity, new purpose. That's why it's attractive. I was reading um, this week about a, a dinner that was held in Bulawayo in uh, Zimbabwe. It's the second largest city in Zimbabwe. It was called the Shining Stars Dinner. And it was an outreach event by an um, evangelical church in Zimbabwe. And they invited all the sex workers um, from, um, from the city. They managed, 66 women turned up um, and it was going to be a meal and then a, 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 a gospel presentation. And 50 people gave their lives to Jesus. 50 people. And during that dinner, apparently, this is a quote, during the dinner they were screaming, hallelujah, more than the regular churchgoers. And then we, we, we hear something like that, don't we? And we just think, oh, man, I'm humbled. I'm truly humbled and convicted. Why do I not go to these people? Why do I not go to these people? Do I fear the gospel can't speak into their need? And then you hear something like, you think, oh my word, 50 out of 66 heard it and received it. And yeah, just want to encourage us that the gospel is, uh, we can have confidence in the gospel because it meets intellectual needs, it can meet psychological needs, it can meet all needs. And finally, we can go to people with confidence because the gospel meets moral needs. The gospel meets moral needs. As Paul and his missionary team are arrested on trumped-up charges by the slave girls' masters, um, they are because they're greatly angered that they've lost their income from the fortune teller. Um, they're put into prison, and that's not necessarily where they would have chosen to go. It's not where they would have said, "Oh, yeah, please beat me with a rod and then take me to uh, take me to the prison." But that doesn't stop them from carrying out what their mission was, which was to go and preach the gospel over in Macedonia. They still do it. In verse 25, you have a look at that. It says that they were, sing they were singing hymns to God and praying at midnight. I don't know about what you'll do be doing at midnight tonight. Um, I pray you won't be in prison at midnight tonight. But um, I doubt, well, maybe you will be. Maybe you're holy in the night. But I will be not doing those things at midnight tonight. I, I'm going to be sleeping, I think. But they were singing praise to God and praying to him so the prisoners and the jailers could hear it. They were in somewhere they didn't want to be. They weren't, didn't plan on being there. And I think sometimes we can find ourselves in places that we don't necessarily choose to be. Maybe we're in a neighbourhood that we're not thinking of staying too long in that place. So we think, I'm just not going to... Not going to push too hard with my neighbours, or maybe um, you're at work and you think, oh, this is just a stopgap, I'm only going to be here for a few months, so I'm, just, I'm not going to bother pursuing people for the gospel here. I think what we see here is wherever we are, whatever we're doing, for whatever time period, we have the opportunity to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people. He didn't know how, Paul never knew how long he was going to be somewhere. He didn't know how long he was going to be in prison, didn't know how long he was going to be in Philippi, but 
he still, whatever the circumstances, shared the good news. So what freedom, I just want to encourage you that we, whatever time frame we're spending somewhere, wherever we're going to be, whatever we're doing, whatever place we are, it's not wasted in any shape or form. We are able to, uh, to look for opportunities and to give a hope and give a reason for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But then if we look at verses 26 to 32, we see there's a massive earthquake hits the prison, the chains are broken, the doors fly open, the jailer assumes that Paul and his team have escaped and the jailer trembles with fear. And his first thing is to try and kill himself out of the shame that he might have let the prisoners escape. There's a shout from Paul saying, don't do it. And basically, um, he stops and he, he trembles with fear. He's heard, he's heard Paul and Luke and the other guys singing and praying to God. He knows there's something amazing and miraculous about their gods. And what does he say? What must I do? To be saved. Basically, what must I do to be made right with God? You see, the jailer was someone that had realised he was utterly, morally bankrupt. He knew it. And they, Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus in verse 31. And we know that to believe in the Lord Jesus, we must repent first of all of our sins. Repent and believe in Jesus. That is what true morality is. And we receive it from Jesus. How can I be right with God? Faith in Jesus. You see, the world's morality is very, very different to that, isn't it? The world's morality says, well, if you, it's all about feeling right with yourself and feeling right with others. But this is not about making the jailer feel better about himself. So often we can be tempted, can't we? I know I can, to go, oh, they're a good person. They're really nice. They're really sweet. Oh, they love their family so much. They'll be all right. They don't cause anyone any harm. They're so, oh, you're such a good person. I love, I love spending time with you. And those things may be true. But that's not what sorts out our morality problem. Paul doesn't pacify the jailer with any niceties or anything like that. He just says he leads, them, he leads them to God. The Bible tells you that you are utterly sinful by nature and you deserve death. But that's not what you get given if you believe in Jesus, if you repent of your sins. You see, true morality is the gospel of grace. The jailer would have heard them singing, heard them praising in hard circumstances, and yet the peace that's coming out of Paul and the guys as they're singing those things in, in the prison just oozes the grace of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? That free gift, the forgiveness of sins. The jailer sees that offer of grace. What do I do? What do I do to be saved? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Well, all this leads to a number of vital, um, a couple of vital things just to finish with, just to conclude very quickly. There is no one you cannot reach. Sorry. There is no one that you cannot reach with the good news of Jesus Christ. There is no one, no person, no family member that seems far from God, no person on your street, no, no one on the high street, no one in your place of work that is too far from God that cannot be reached for Jesus because the gospel is able to speak into their need. That's no one. And so we can go with confidence because we need to because it's necessarily 
It's necessary, isn't it? What a great gospel we have to offer people. It meets their intellectual needs, their questions about life. It meets their psychological needs, giving them freedom from whatever bondage they're going through, giving them a purpose and identity. It meets their moral need, their need for a saviour. How can they be right? Well, you can be right because of Jesus. And of course we know, and this is the one that maybe we don't like so much, is it's urgent, isn't it? It, it? it is urgent. Our friends are literally going to hell. We have the keys of the kingdom. They've been given to us, and we have them in our hands. We're able to be the light of the world to our friends and to our neighbours and to our work colleagues and the people around us. But also we know that it's powerful. It is not down to us. Our job is to go. His job, the Lord's job, is to, is to save. We just need to be faithful with that call, be obedient with our call to do that. Let's go to those people, those people that are in our hearts. As followers of Jesus, we can have confidence in the gospel that it has the power to meet every single need, every question, every situation, any struggle anyone is going through, that our friends, our colleagues, our family members are going through. It can meet and speak into that need. Can I just encourage us now, just for a minute, I know we've overrun a little bit, but just for a minute of silence where we just spend some time in prayer on our own, thinking about who is that one person that we could reach out to? Who is that one person that we, we think is too far, who has a need that we think is too great for the gospel to speak into? I know we've all got them. I could think of a half a dozen. Um, but maybe this week just to commit them, um, that you're going to pray for them. And the greatest thing you can do to love them is to share something of the truth of Jesus Christ with them and, 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 and pray that it meets their needs. It can do. Help my unbelief. Let's just give a minute to that now. Father, we thank you that the gospel does not discriminate. No one is too far from you. It is for all. It is powerful for all. And Lord, you have given us a great gift of knowing you and the wonderful purpose to go and make fishes of men. And Lord, just that image of the boat capsizing with the sheer vast number of fish it's just a, a picture of um, the, the number of people uh, the nets, the, the number of people not fish but the number of people that will be um, saved by you and you, you use us to do it so Lord I do, I do pray for um, anything, any fear or anything that's blocking us from, from going and stepping out and meeting people in their need Lord and Lord, I do pray that you would help us overcome those things. 
And Lord, we know there'll probably be a, there'll be a battle for us, and, and that's okay. Lord, you want to work in us and through us. And so I pray that you would do that work through us. And we pray for the souls of the loved ones that we've just named um, in that last minute or so. We, we ask that you would, um, yeah, work in them, just as you did in Lydia, as you revealed yourself to her, you let her listen to what Paul was saying. Her heart was changed, and we pray that we would be able to do the same with our friends and loved ones. Lord, I pray that we would be light, um, that we would offer the keys to the kingdom to those that we know and love. And we know that you go with us. We don't do this alone. Lord, go with us this week, I pray. Lord, I pray that we have a, a week of um, yeah, just a sweet time with you and that we go uh, from this place feeling refreshed and encouraged and excited that your gospel is powerful, that it is able to save even the people that we think <laughs> in our hearts that it might be a bit too difficult for. But Lord, we know that uh, forgive us, Lord, when we think like that, we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Um, that concludes the time together. Um, look forward to seeing you guys again, um, hopefully next week, and pray you have a blessed week. Um, feel free to, uh, if you're happy to take the communion stuff up and just leave it on the side, then we'll dispose of it in a minute. That would be great. But um, have a good rest of your evening. And thank you to the AV guys as well for, once again, giving it your time tonight. God bless.